Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of the Corporate Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Bailey. Today, we're talking about the current state of hiring and recruiting with a fantastic guest. Evan Sohn is the chairman and CEO of Recruiter.com. He's a successful business leader and entrepreneur, having launched and sold multiple businesses throughout his career. He's also the co-founder of the Sone Conference Foundation, an amazing nonprofit started in honor of his brother and doing some tremendous work globally to fund research to treat and cure pediatric cancer. I hope you stay tuned for this episode. Evan and I talk about the current state of hiring, what businesses can do to appeal to candidates, and how purpose factors into the decision-making process. Evan also speaks to his own personal connection to purpose and mission. This is a fantastic episode, particularly given where we are with the great resignation and how employees are rethinking where they're choosing to work. So I hope you stick around. Welcome to the Corporate Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Bailey. Over the last few years, I've discovered a new wave of CEOs who are passionate about serving their customers and changing the world. They're proving you can build a strong business while also having a positive impact on those around you. This is a podcast about the changing state of business and why more leaders are choosing to use their business for good. Join me for thoughtful conversations about purposeful leadership and uncovering the steps you can take to grow your business on purpose. It's my pleasure today to welcome Evan Sohn to the show. Evan, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Really, really appreciate it. Now, Evan, you've had quite a career working in startups, inside Fortune 500 companies, and today you're the CEO and chairman of Recruiter.com. Perhaps you can start by sharing a little bit about the evolution of your career, and then what brought you to where we are now? Uh, Sure thing, Karen. So I went to uh, NYU, graduated NYU Business School's uh, undergrad in uh, 1989, and actually started my first company at the age of 21 in mobile computing. I was a programmer through college, left there, took two engineers, opened up a company in mobile computing, and grew that company over a period of a decade. And uh, clients included like American Express and just about every major pharmaceutical company, AT&T. And we got acquired in 1998 by Dun & Bradstreet, then got uh, was there for a while, got pulled out by a venture capital firm to come join another company, I was there for a while, then uh, was with another company, chief sales and marketing officer of another uh, a high growth startup company in the security space. Uh, grew that, we got acquired by Message Labs, which then got acquired by Symantec. Went back into mobile with a company that got acquired by Verifone, stayed at Verifone in the payment space for a bunch of years, then went off to Silicon Valley, worked with another company that grew there and got acquired by GoDaddy about a year ago. So I've sort of done that a, a number of times, a lot of fun, really just had the privilege of being around you know, great people with great ideas. And then uh, about three years ago, I got introduced to the, the largest shareholder of a company called, which now became Recruiter.com. And Recruiter.com three years ago was really more of a media company, obviously a great URL, but really a media company. Uh, advertising came out with a weekly a monthly magazine, monthly newsletters, it had sponsorships. LinkedIn actually advertised uh, on recruiter.com, uh, so did a couple others. And when I got involved, the, the thought really was, all right, how do we take this media platform and really transform it into a transactional engine? 
Uh, I love platforms. I love expert networks. I love platforms and software. And hey, I really love reinventing industries. And I really saw the opportunity to you know, change the way that uh, companies, large and small, uh, engage with talent acquisition professionals. So that was a much longer story than you had anticipated asking, but I, I hope we got to the end point there. Yeah. Wow. It seems like, you know, you've had this opportunity to be inside and hands-on in a lot of different companies, and you also experienced a lot of change. So looking at where we are now, you know, the pandemic clearly has shifted the recruiting industry significantly. You know, when you came into the company, was this part of, you know, the shift that you were seeing, or was this, you know, more something that you were reacting and adapting and kind of creating this new vision as you were also working through the pandemic? Yeah, so it was a great, it's a great question. I, when I got to the recruiting industry, when I got to recruit.com, I really said, all right, recruiting industry, completely fragmented or defragmented, however you want to look at it, thousands and thousands of recruiters, giant, huge industry, no one dominant player, any single role, the do-it-yourselfers, the large firms, the executive recruiters, the boutiques, great opportunity for someone to come in there and really reinvent this overall industry. And that was really the premise really two and a half years ago, the, the company came together. I became chairman of the board in uh, in uh, March of 2019. You know, when the pandemic happened, um, really sat down, so this is now April, May of 2020, and really sat down with uh, the board of the company and said, hey, look, you know, when this pandemic is over, the job market's going to be in an absolute state of flux. And if you thought about it and you would say, gee, you know, what are the shutdown stocks, Peloton, DoorDash, Netflix, we can, we have this opportunity to really be this incredible company for the reopening of the economy. I actually did not think for a moment that it would be in this much of a frenzy. My assumption was, all right, you're going to have, you know, millions and millions of people that need, get, they need to get back to work. And so how do you get millions and millions of people back to work? Let's go call out the National Guard of Job Placement aka recruiters. I mean that that's really what I thought was going to happen. Who knew that it would really be in this much of a of a turmoil. And uh, back in uh, May the the decision was I basically said if now is going to be the time for recruiter.com, let me uh, I'm going to become the CEO. I quit my day job, we raised some money, became the CEO, uh, and now we're on Nasdaq trading under the symbol RCRT. So uh, it's it's been a exciting year and a half. We've been on NASDAQ since July uh, 1 of this year, and it's just been incredible watching the company grow and helping recruiters, helping talent professionals, helping companies large and small, and helping candidates uh, find meaningful careers. Yeah, maybe you can explain a little bit more for us about Recruiter.com, and you know, do you work with both the companies and with talent? Sure. So you know, at the heart of it, Recruiter.com really is all about the recruiter. Right, so we run the largest community of recruiters, and that's what we care most about. Uh, how do we provide a great experience for recruiters and talent acquisition professionals? How do we provide them opportunities, full-time, part-time, gig, technology tools, helping them enable their to get their jobs done better? And that makes sense if you're called Recruiter.com, right? We're not called NoRecruiter.com. We're called Recruiter.com. So. Companies come to us, and typically they're looking for one of two things, if not both. They're looking for candidates and pipeline, or they're looking for recruiters, or they want both. Now, what does that mean that they want a recruiter? 
Well, you know, if Karen needs to go from your home to the airport, you have a variety of ways to do that. You could drive yourself, you could do it yourself, right? Get in a car mm-hmm. and drive, or you could use any application, right? An Uber or a Lyft and order, order a driver to come to your home and pick you up. You could pick the car, pick the size, uh, pick the location, the destination. You, you could do all that other stuff there, or you could hire a driver full-time. Well, I don't know how often you travel and I, you know, I don't know whether you need a full-time driver or not, but we've all embraced this notion of, let me have an Uber driver. Let me have someone come to my home, give me that full-time driver experience. You get in the back seat, they take your luggage, there's a water, there's a mint, you know, all those other things. You don't pay anybody. You just, there's no money exchange or walking out. It's just this incredible, exciting experience. That's what we do for talent acquisition. So our the recruiters that we have work on behalf of the client like Uber or like Upwork or Fiverr. So I believe that the, the, the historical legacy model of paying a recruiter on success only is an antiquated model that might have made sense 20 years ago, might have still made sense 10 years ago, certainly does not make sense in 2022 when the, the average tenure uh, of an employee is decreasing, you know, year over year over year. And now you have millennials where 60% of all millennials will leave, yeah, you know, have no problem leaving a job within the first six months. And we could talk about the job hopper economy and how that affects these overall things. So we really provide these recruiters to these companies on an hourly basis. They want a recruiter for hundred dollars an hour. We'll charge them, let's say 20% on top of that. They pay us, we pay the recruiter, et cetera. Then in order to ensure that our recruiters are doing a great job, the same way that Uber driver has GPS and other things that help them do their job better, we have an incredible technology platform, SaaS subscription platform, AI all the way, uh, an artificial intelligence driven candidate search and engagement product uh, that goes across 160 million profiles, fully indexed uh, to really pull out whatever that, that hiring manager actually wants. We run some job marketplaces. We have career community programs that we're doing, and all these other things really around a variety of different niche segments. But you know, predominantly in the talent acquisition space. Wow! So you guys are are making it easier, more convenient, and crossing industries. It seems like so. Yeah, let's... about about twenty percent of our clients are tech. But again, you know, if our responsibility is to Karen the recruiter. I don't know what Karen the recruiter does, right? And so if we were only for tech roles, that would not satisfy Karen the healthcare recruiter or Karen the media recruiter, et cetera. So we're really uh, operating in lots of different industries, uh, IT, healthcare, sciences, telecommunications, financial services, uh, and, and many others. Yeah. So let's take a kind of a 10,000 foot view and maybe you can speak to, you know, we talked a little bit about the evolution, you know, obviously there's a lot of trends from the pandemic that have, have helped spur, you know, this tech, the need for this technology really what's happening at at kind of a high level in recruiting right now. Sure. So, you know, uh, we, we have the benefit that what we started to do a year, a year and a half ago in, uh, in May is we started this recruiter index so my, my feeling was, you know, let's use recruiters like air traffic controllers and recruiters would have a good litmus test on what's going on in the job economy from their perspective. And what we really started to see over the last year and a half is really a number of things that have really gotten us to where we are today. Uh, so the first really was changing candidate priorities. 
you know, uh, what, what used to be compensation being, you know, 41% of the priorities of the candidates of the recruiters that we surveyed. Now that number is actually down to around 25%, which is the lowest we've ever seen. So what that means, Karen, is that 75% of the candidates have something that's not compensation as their highest priority, whether it's work-life balance, remote work, new experiences, which actually went up to like 20% last month. That's incredible. So what that really tells you is just throwing more money at the problem. Gee, no one wants this job. Let's throw another $5,000 there. Might not actually get it done. We actually saw a survey that said that, you know, that uh, 25% of people were willing to take a less salary to be able to work remotely, just crazy stuff like that. Let's, we, there are a few other trends. So work from anywhere is another good one. So what work from anywhere really let you do is that, you know, no longer is there this geographically undesirable position for knowledge workers, right? So it, it's actually very interesting, right? That means that if someone wants to hire Karen and they live on, they work on the opposite side of the country, they will accommodate Karen because I want Karen to work for me. So think about how many jobs that you had access to, but they were they wanted you to move. That, that's just not going to happen in any sort of great numbers anymore. And again, I'm, I'm generalizing, but to prove a point, right? I had a number of opportunities throughout my career to move out to California full-time, move to Atlanta full-time. No, no one's going to, if someone wants me to work for them, that, that's not going to be tied to a geography. Let's keep going for a moment. I think interviewing is like so simple now. Finding a job has just never been easier for the experienced knowledge worker, right? You know, the expression finding a job as a full-time job was not created recently. Right, that is an old line. Right? Oh, I gotta quit. Why? Because interviewing is a process. I have put a suit on. I have to go prepare. I have to travel to where I'm being interviewed. I'm gonna sit in someone's office for half an hour waiting. I'm gonna be interviewed. I'm gonna have a break. And all the it's it's a whole you know major ordeal. Interviewing today is exactly Karen what we're doing. It's a 15-minute Zoom call or whatever tool you're actually using, done anytime you want. And by the way, if I'm working from home or working from anywhere, I have far more time available, right? I'm not commuting an hour a day every day of the week. There are a lot of hybrid jobs, et cetera. Then there are really two other things that I think are also playing into this. So the first really is the, the growth of the job econ uh, the, the gig economy. So we started to see the side hustle. There was a statistic. 35% of all adults in the US have a side hustle, 50% of all millennials have a side hustle. And this goes back to a year and a half ago, right? So part of why I wanted to get uh, platformatized, if you will, recruiter.com was really to capitalize on this gig economy. Hey, how do we turn full-time recruiters into you know into an Upwork or a Fiverr or an Uber, but for re recruiting and talent acquisition? And I think what you're seeing now is gee, my side hustle has become my primary source of income. And if my if my healthcare is covered by the government and hey, instead of actually going back to a factory at $15 an hour, I'm just going to go to DoorDash for four hours a day, first in the morning and the night, et cetera. You know, I heard an ad this morning from amazon.com. Hey, we need holiday associates, right? Please help package up stuff. We, you could do early morning, you could do late night, you could do weekends. It's a great opportunity to make some extra money. So capitalizing on this gig economy. And the, and the final thing really is the job hopper economy. I gave a talk on this about two months ago. And if you look at the tenure the uh, per the employee tenure has been decreasing 
you know, year after year after year. And if, you know, if I asked you, Karen, you looked at a resume of a 30 year old two years ago who had been at the same company for 10 years, right? Let's just make a generalization. Two years ago or three years ago, you'd use adjectives like loyal, steadfast, and committed. 22, right? 20, 2022, same person, 10 years at the same company. And let's assume it's not some brand name company, et cetera. You'd probably say stale, risk averse, not interested in trying new things. Why? Because it's so easy now. Well, now you have Kevin O'Leary about a month ago, you know, wrote an article begging employees, please stay at your company for at least 24 months, 24 months. You know, and I had we all had parents or grandparents that said, look, your first job, you got to stay there for at least three, four years. You know, you got to build it. You don't want to look like a job hopper. And, you know, this has changed. So you have all these effects. I'm interested in a new experience. I can work from anywhere. I can interview at any time. And there's no stigma to leaving a company. And if there's no stigma to leaving a company, this is really creating this incredible movement in the job economy today. Wow. Yeah. What advice do you give business leaders then, you know, knowing that that people are moving quickly and that there's, you know, these easy ways for people to evolve in their career? Yeah. So uh, it's a great question. And, you know, the, the tips that I would give or the tips that we do give to companies is really a few. Uh, the first is you got to increase the cycle, right? In 2020, the average hire took 42 days. Think about when that made sense when it was an employer's market and you want to really make sure this is the right person and we're going to have lots of, oh, I want them to meet Steve, but Steve's not available next week. So Steve gets, you know, Steve interviews next week and then Debbie interviews in the following week, you know, and that's what takes 42 hours, 42 days to actually get done. That, that's not going to work anymore. That is simply too long and companies should figure out how to get that process down by 30 to 50%. Right. This should be a hey. And, and by the way, my recommendation actually should be incredibly transparent with the candidate. Uh, group interviews, flexible scheduling around the candidate schedule, get an offer out earlier, you know, subject to continued due diligence, whatever they needs to be. And actually letting the candidate know, hey, candidate, hey, Karen, the candidate, we are incredibly interested in you. Here's what's going to happen over the next two weeks. You got to meet these three people. Let us know availability. We're going to get an offer out to you by Monday. You know, we can go back and forth, but be incredibly clear about it. I, I, I think the other big thing really is, and I got two other big things really is one is you got to demonstrate progression. No one wants to be entry level. No one wants to be the, you know, there's a great a article in Wall Street Journal. No one wants to be the assistant manager. No one wants to be called an assistant. So why would you tell someone you're an assistant manager and we'll promote you in nine months? Why don't you say you're going to be a manager after nine months? Hey, this is a manager title and you're on probation for the first nine months, you know, we, or show rapid progression, show someone, hey, look, here's what's going to happen to you over the next year. I'm going to give you a bump now, but you're going to get another bump. This is progression, the progression, the progression, the progression. Show people the progression that they're going to have. Why should I stay at your company? Prove to me why I should stay at your company. And finally, a little self-serving is you got to increase the numerator, right? Hiring candidates is a process. There's the funnel, right? You, you go very, very wide, and then you start narrowing it down. Uh, it used to be, let's assume that I had a, you know, email or I had, a, I had to see 100 resumes or 50 resumes to get to the one Karen, right? Let's just assume I looked at 50 resumes. I phoned, you know, to half were bad. I phone screened 25 people. Of the 25 people, five 
I wanted to interview. And then I finally get down to two candidates and I make an offer to Karen, you know, and there's one backup. That's not going to work anymore because during this process, Karen got 16 other offers and 16 other opportunities. So instead of looking at 50 people, I might have to look at 200 people. Well, if you want to get 200 more people into your restaurant, putting another door on the store is not going to do it, right? So you got to have proactive tools that are going out there and doing that. And I think a, a variation on that theme is you should be constantly building a bench. Whatever company you are, you should be constantly building a bench. Where's your entry point? How do you get people coming in right out of college or you know entry-level roles? And what's that progression? Build your bench and, and have this progression for your bench. Yeah, I love that you know, there's all these, it's showing that there's this evolution that, that we are pushing forward in the recruiting industry completely. You know, I think a lot of businesses are seeing these evolutions because of the pandemic. I was reading this article, I've talked about it before, that there's sort of this unfreezing effect where businesses had were forced because of the pandemic to change the way they did business. And so now I think, you know, you just gave such great examples of how we all have to kind of adapt the recruiting process and move it forward. Now, I want to go back to some of the things you mentioned earlier, because to me, what I heard a lot was that there is an element of culture that is important to candidates. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about, you know, either through recruiter.com, how you guys do it or how companies can bring a little bit of that culture or, you know, I like to put things often in the lens of purpose, but really kind of the meaning of the business. How do you bring that forward when you're no longer competing just on compensation? Yeah, it's great. Look, I struggle this with this as the CEO, right? I'm a huge face-to-face person, right? Uh, if I'm on the phone with you, it's, hey, Karen, when are we getting together? You know, I, I've said more to people, uh, uh, hey, I'm in your area next Tuesday. And like, oh, yeah, you're ready to stop by. Sure. Now I'm on a plane to go figure out what else can I do while I'm visiting Karen on a plane. You know, the uh, we're fortunate at Recruiter.com because we're all virtual. It's not like we have one office where 80% of the people are in and 20% are not. You know, the reality is you got to take a lesson from the companies where that actually existed. And I worked for one of them before, right? I was I was based in Silicon Valley, yet I was, you know, lived on the East Coast and I would try, you know, fly out to California every couple of weeks for a couple of days just to have FaceTime, et cetera. And I think that there are companies, you know, that were very distributed that also had to struggle with how do you make sure there's a culture and there's a can-do attitude, et cetera, and culture. And we're doing a holiday themed thing next week. I think we got another party. You know, there are actually good platforms now that are out there that are around how do you create culture and, and how do you help people when they're acting uh, vir- virtually. And I, I, I think that that's really part of it. And you have to prioritize it. You have to, as a company, say, how do you do the all hands? And we do weekly all hands. We have a monthly state of the union. You know, you have to do the things that keep everyone connected. Because the reality now is, certainly if you're working in this virtual environment, everybody is disconnected. You know, so I've worked in an environment where, you know, there was an all hands meeting and there's 50 people in a room and there are four people zooming in. Right. And I was one of the four people. And that's a little bit disconnected. Right. You feel a little bit disconnected there to begin with. But I think as a company purpose, mission and, you know, that's really the mark of a leadership of a good leader is really identifying the mission and making sure everybody understands the mission. Everybody understands their value. Everyone understands why every day matters, because everyone understands their impact to the overall mission of the organization and how they they move that forward. There you go. You know, and I think cross communications with people, et cetera. The good news is, you know, for our company, we have a talent effectiveness team. 
we actually have a practice around talent effectiveness. We have clients that use us not just to help recruit, but you know, do a better job uh, in terms of coaching and leadership training among the talent. So, hey, not only bringing people on, but you're doing something with them. And we're turning that inward. We're actually using these programs ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing too, I'd, I'd love your thoughts on is almost flipping that culture and purpose around the other way, because you talked about the speed of hiring and you talked about making these decisions faster and thinking in the future about how people can evolve their position. And I think that to make decisions faster, it really helps when you have a clear understanding of your purpose and your values, because if you're going to be able to make these decisions, screen multiple candidates, you know, how do we know that those candidates are a good fit? Right. No, I I completely agree. I would also say that, you know, you have to recognize the limitations of virtual operations as well. I don't know. I wasn't trained this way because I started a company that was my first, you know, first four, you know, I, I didn't go to corporate America, you know, but the notion of, hey, Karen, follow me around for the next week, shadow me, right? Sh- shadowing doesn't work in a virtual environment, right? You're not going to, oh, who, why, why, you know, I don't see a lot of people in, in inviting people to sit on a Zoom meeting just to see what's actually going on. It doesn't work as well. So instead, you know, you have to, the price for that is you could only, or you should, you know, hiring people that are more experienced, like the on the job training is, is kind of not as easy to do when you don't have shadowing and training, et cetera. So if you're going to be operating in a virtual environment, ensuring that you have people that actually know how to get the job done. And by the way, you know, it's because I could hire from anywhere. So we use the word work from anywhere, which is very candidate centric, but it's really hire from anywhere which is very company centric. I could hire anyone from anywhere. So, you know, there's something very nice about that. Gee, the person that I really, really want is living in Minnesota. That doesn't stop me anymore, right? I don't, that doesn't, that's not a barrier to me actually hiring that person. The other is, you know, you, you said it before, it's actually pretty easy to screen people, right? It's really easy to do that. I, I think that you were leading towards, hey, are we doing assessment testing and skills testing, and there's certain ways to do that to make sure someone can actually do the job or not. But the best way to do that is to actually hire someone from, you know, that actually knows, you know, that actually knows the role already and show progression of, hey, look, this is what you're doing at the last job. I want you to do that here for the next three months, six months, et cetera. And then we're going to move you along the way there. Yeah. I like that progression. Cause I think that's, you know, an important piece of what a lot of people are looking for is, you know, how do they advance professionally, you know, in addition to knowing that they're doing work that has meaning, knowing that they are valued, I think is important. So another topic that we've talked about on the podcast now a couple of times is, you know, ESG and how do we think about diversity in the talent management process? And so I'm just curious at recruiter.com, how you guys are helping people make sure that you're pulling from a, a really broad section and that you're helping people really think through what bias might be in their current process and how you're helping them kind of work through that and making sure that there's a, a, a great screening process in place? That, great question. We believe that diversity starts at the top of the funnel, not at the bottom of the funnel, right? So it's not like, gee, we ended up with three candidates and two are diverse and one's not. So let's make sure we take, you know, or one's diverse and two are not. Let's make sure we take the diverse candidate. That's not the right way to do it. The right way to do it is to really start at the top of the funnel. Our AI, our AI tools actually support diversity. So I could look for, give me all of the diverse, uh, et cetera, et cetera, Java developers with automotive experience. You know, we, we could do all that really built into the tool. 
because I really believe it starts at the top of the funnel. And it's a it's a big question that we ask our clients when you're looking for pipeline. Hey, do you want diversity? Uh, it's it, we look, we do it because it's part of our core product. So it's an asset that we have. And why not flaunt that asset? So it's a very normal question for us to say to a client, oh, you need pipeline. What are your diversity requirements as well? And we're able to do that. And we've done projects with uh, veterans. Uh, and we have a whole group of veteran spouses that are actually recruiters. So we do a lot, not just externally, but also internally uh, to ensure that we're you know, living and breathing uh, the uh, the whole mission of diversity as well. Yeah, leadership. It, you know, it feels like that's kind of what you're saying. It really starts with the leaders and and the leadership of the organization. You know, such a, a really important factor because I, I agree with you. You can't kind of band aid it. You you got to kind of think through the strategy of it, and you know, there has to be some accountability at the top. This has been such a great conversation. There's been you know a lot of different trends we covered, but there's something else I wanted to take just a moment to talk about, and that's some of this great work you've been doing to help fight pediatric cancer through the Sone Conference Foundation. In addition to all of the business success you've had, you know, you've done a tremendous amount of work to help fund research and improve patient care. And I was hoping that you'd be willing to talk a little bit about the mission of the Sone Conference Foundation and the work that you're doing. Sure. Sure. It's great. I always get a little, uh, I, I always get bash, a little bashful because uh, it's really the Ira Stone conference. Ira was my brother. Uh, my brother died in 1993, uh, one day short of 29. He was a Wall Street trader and his uh, boss, a colleague and friend really had this great idea of a conference. They approached the family, we supported it. And it really uh, grew over time into uh, what's become the uh, the Stone Conference, uh, the Stone Conference Foundation? We really flipped the model around. So everything that you know, when you see a 15 minute TED talk, like we did that like 26 years ago, literally a shot clock. And the the model that we did really was before us, sort of they'd be a sponsor of the conference, and they would pay people to come and hear me speak. Right? I'd sponsor a conference, you would come and hear me speak. And the idea was hey, let's get these great speakers to donate their time to the charity, to the foundation, uh, and people would come and pay to hear them speak. You know, just an incredibly novel idea. And it worked. The first year we had about 70 people, all of whom were, or most of whom related to uh, someone involved. And the last time we did this uh, in live, which seems like uh, eternity ago, we were like over 2,000 people at Lincoln Center. Mm. And then about a decade ago, we got, a call from someone over in London. Hey, we've seen what you've done. We've come to your conference. We want to do one here. Actually, the first one was actually out in San Francisco. So someone said, hey, we want to do a Stone Conference out in San Francisco. What do you think? And then it became, hey, in London, we want to do a Stone Conference in London. And you know, the mission really became not just providing uh, research and support for pediatric cancer and other childhood diseases, but also inspiring philanthropy, right? We we, we, we're not a franchise. We're not Subways, right? We don't make anyone buy our napkins or our ingredients. And now there are 11 conferences around the world, mm-hmm. 11, 11 cities, 10 countries, five continents. So everything from Australia to Hong Kong to Israel to India. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. Uh, we're going to be virtual this year. So I think Sone Australia was last week, was this pat was, was last week was Sone Australia. Um, I've been there. That conference is fantastic. The Stone Hearts and Minds Conference and New York will probably be in uh, in May again, but we'll do it virtually. We had a, we had a great virtual conference not too long ago, so we 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 have some really nice supporters that have really been been part of the overall operation. 
Wow. What a wonderful example of philanthropy and just, you know, such a great cause. And, you know, I'm sorry to hear about your brother, but wow, way to turn that legacy into something amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And we're now planning some sort of, as Recruiter.com, to do something in the, you know, great give back, something in 22 to sort of be, be part of that process, you know, hopefully tying a few different passions of mine together to do something uh, interesting and novel. So we'll, yeah. we'll see how that unfolds. Is there a way that people can support you? Uh, or the me, cause? You can support me. You can send me money. You can Venmo <laughs> me money. Yeah. So you can go to stoneconference.org. There's a website. It's a really nice website. There's an online donations. Very, very nice. Thank you very much. That, that'd be fantastic. You can go to uh, recruiter.com to go check things out. All things recruiter, all are on recruiter.com. So everything from, you know, if you're a talent acquisition professional, a hiring manager, go to recruiter.com, sign up, join the overall community. You'll get uh, updates, newsletters, uh, weekly education series. We're going to be rolling out lots of different things next year. We're going to create a whole series on helping recruiters operate in uh, recruiters and hiring managers operate in, you know, 22, everything from how to read body language on Zoom to, you know, how do you, uh, operating in this new post-pandemic sort of fashion. Um, and we're going to be doing that, you know, just uh, as part of our overall outreach to our community to keep them engaged. So welcome, welcome everyone uh, from your audience to get involved. Um, this is exciting times. You know, if you're going to ask me to close a, a closing statement, I would say that, you know, every industry sort of had its moment in the sun, right? In the uh, in the, the 90s, it was telecommunications and mobile communications. At the end of the 90s, it was e-commerce. It was hardware, desktops, laptops. We've seen real estate have its day in the sun. Hedge funds have its day in the sun. Energy have its day in the sun. Every industry sort of had its moment where it was shining, you know, loud and bright. Recruiting and talent acquisition never has. It's always been part of the fabric of our of our society, of our economy, but never had its moment in the sun. And I firmly believe that we are now in the golden age of talent acquisition and recruiting. And you know, who better to help forge that path than Recruiter.com? And, uh, you know, it's exciting because we're very mission-oriented as a company. Uh, we believe that recruiting is a human interaction, no matter what we talk about bots and AI and all these other things, you know, no one is going to get hired by somebody without actually speaking to somebody. I don't care if you're the dishwasher, you're the uh, CEO or the, you know, the head engineer, you are not walking into someone's organization without actually speaking to somebody. And the question is, where does that, where does that take place along that, uh, that continuum? So we really believe we're not about no recruiter.com. We are recruiter.com. We're about helping this process and ensure that there's a good communication between the hiring manager and the candidate to really create a successful relationship for that candidate. I love that. I love that people in connection, you know, that's that's what it comes back down to, but we can still evolve an industry using all this great technology. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you, Evan, for joining me today, sharing your ideas and your purpose and having you know this great conversation. Thank you, Karen. Really, thank you so much. I, I enjoy the conversations because it helps us flush out to ensure that we're on the right track. We are a constantly evolving company. I actually promised the management team no radical changes for the rest of the year. You know, we're in planning mode now, but it's really great to see that our message is resonating because it's those sort of interactions 
that keep the that, that keep the process moving forward. You know, a trend starts with a single data point. It's one of the greatest things I learned out in Silicon Valley. So, you know, we have a message and it resonates with you. That that tells us we're on the right trend. And so, I appreciate this conversation and really looking forward to seeing and hearing uh, far more from you uh, in the future. Well, thank you so much, Evan. You just finished an episode of the Corporate Purpose Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and found some key takeaways you can use right now to grow your business on purpose. If you like this episode, then hit subscribe or consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Better yet, share it with a friend or a colleague. We'll see you next time on the Corporate Purpose Podcast.